Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, all you Mets fans, episode number 13, Mets Up Podcast, back at you. Mark, Mark Luino, Giraffe Nick Mark, James Shiano, Jeter had no range. We just finished up probably one of the better series that we've had in a very long time against the Arizona Diamondbacks. A 3-0 sweep of them this weekend. All the games, while they weren't necessarily blowouts, the Mets won the games pretty easily, and the Mets are starting to look like they might have turned a corner based on something that happened Friday night that we'll talk about, of course, you know, the rat and raccoon, as Jeff McNeil called it, which is just an insane way to call a raccoon, by the way. Raccoon is nuts. I don't know where Jeff McNeil's from. Raccoon. Yeah, raccoon. California. Yeah, that doesn't even make sense for being from California. Ah, uh, it could be if you're from rural California. I'd see it. Maybe. And Jeff does, like, you know, a little mullet and everything. Maybe he's from the, yeah. the rural area. But yeah. we had a really good series this weekend, and there is so much good to talk about. So if you guys are here for the positive episodes, we got a positive episode coming at you. So many different things in every single game, but it all ends up being positive, which is great. Before we get going into it, you know I gotta do the little intro, where to listen to us, where to find us, Instagram, Twitter, Metzed Up on both of those, and you can find us on YouTube at Metzed Up Podcast. The videos are gonna be back, we're gonna be back with this episode, last episode, it was so weird, I came back from vacation, everything was all screwed up, but we're back on the regular grind here, we're ready to go, I've been, my brain is so fried, but we're, we're ready to go back on the YouTube grind as well. We also got where you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can listen to podcasts, you will find us. So make sure you guys are, you know, following, subscribing, whatever it takes so you don't miss out on any episode. James, a little better intro. Last time I got a little into content in the intro, which isn't normally how I do it. Yeah, which is fine, though. I think, I think again, like you said, we're still experimenting. We don't know what works yet. I kind of like like a long intro, maybe a break, and then jump into the stuff. Yeah. So now we can jump into the stuff. Now we can jump into the stuff because, boy... There was a lot, and Game 1, there is so much to talk about from Game 1, but it also isn't really necessarily about what happened actually on the field, but more so what happened in the tunnel or the dugout during that game, which was crazy. And a lot did happen on the field in Game 1, but the main story that everyone's here to listen to and everyone knows about, not even just Mets world, but the entire baseball, basically the entire sports world. I was at the birthday party with friends last night, and people who don't even watch baseball were asking me what happened with the Mets. Did they get a fight on Friday night? Yeah. And the real answer is, we're not sure. Not sure. We really don't have a clue exactly what happened. For what we do know is that during the sixth inning, and I think this is really where it started, there was a play up the middle where Jeff McNeil was going yep, up the middle, ball. ground ball up the middle. Lindor were both going for it. They didn't end up making the play. McNeil kind of sort of got in the way a little bit, kind of was being a little too aggressive as a second baseman there, a much easier play for Lindor, much tougher for Jeff. Lindor got the ball, made the throw, he was safe. Lindor was upset, whether it was at Jeff, whether it was at himself, whether he was just frustrated because whatever has been going on with him recently. After that play was made, I don't know if you picked it up on TV or if you're listening to it on the radio, but Lindor let out a scream that me and the people who I was at the game with, Ernie and others, we said it was as if he was letting out all the demons in his body. He was screaming so insanely loud. He turned his back to the field, was looking at the center field, and just let out like a, ah, ah, 
ah, that's what it sounded like. It was so loud. Audible in the stadium. We're sitting in the Coca-Cola corner. Could hear it loud and clear. And I went, that was weird. And it only got weirder. Got a lot weirder because right after that inning, the two of those guys made a beeline ahead of the rest of the team, straight down the tunnel. Most people here know the story. And then Michael Conforto and a couple other Mets were sauntering in as the inning ended because the last play was the Dalton Varsho long fly ball to the warning track off of Barnes that Conforto made the catch. Nice play. Conforto's been playing actually a very good defensive right field. Can't believe that ball didn't go out, by the way. Insane. Yeah. Yeah, I have some I have some crazy stats about balls that didn't go out the series, too, that we're going to get to. But Conforto looked into the tunnel, and he seemed to see something that was awry. Seemed like there was a potential fracas going on. A brouhaha. A brouhaha of sorts, yes. And just general hoopla. General hoopla. And every single team, it almost looked like a skit from, like, Abbott and Costello or, like, one of those old 1940s sketch shows with, like, really demonstrative, like, moving around. Everyone just bulleted right down the stairs, right into the tunnel. You saying that reminded me a little bit of, like, you said, like, the Abbott Costello thing. It was almost the opposite of, like, when you see, like, people getting out of a clown car. Like, how many people are going to go down there? It felt like every single person (laughs) in uniform was in that the tunnel. And then Conforto was the first person that came out, and his face just set it off. Like he saw a ghost. He was like, yeah. Let me tell you, some rat or raccoon that was down there, probably. <laughs> yeah, that was. It was probably a raccoon, as we've heard, which is a. It's a funny thing that we've been saying, but it must have been some kind of mutated animal that came from the subways that's been manifesting in there since the beginning of COVID, eating just sludge and all this horrible things. I mean, personally, I think that there was almost definitely a fight. There had to have been. I mean, like the only time that anyone in baseball has really seen, or the most recent time you've seen anyone in like the tunnel of like a dugout like that in baseball recently is when the Astros were cheating. Otherwise it's going to be a fight shot at the Astros there, by the way, had to take it, but yeah, good. there, there had to be something. And I sent you the Snapchat video, which was, it was, it was tough. You couldn't really see much, but it did. There was a, a shot at one point of the dugout, like from the field level. And you could almost see that there was some sort of commotion going on there. It looked like there was ruffling. Of you could shirts. see the white jerseys moving. Yes. That was actually very, that was a very good forensic analysis by you because just in that tiny sliver of black you can see in the tunnel, there was movement of white jerseys. Yes. And the Mets were wearing white that night, so it was very clear to see. I think one of the most telling things that has come out of this, again, I will say the hoopla from Friday because I don't want to speculate what happened. We don't know. It's in clubhouse situation. But the way that Zach Scott and Luis Rojas, who clearly, after the events of how both of these people have their jobs as general manager and uh, manager of the team. They're both, I would say, on tenuous grounds with this front office, and they both were no-nonsense with the media over the last two days talking about it. Immediately that night, once this raccoon rat story started perpetuating on social media, someone, one of the writers, I don't remember who was, asked Rojas about it when he, during his media availability, and he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Dude, his face, his face too, he gave like a, yeah. like, come on, man. He's like, he was like, there's a clubhouse matter, and whatever they decide to tell you is between them. Yeah. Which is, that's, that's, that is translation. There was a fight. I'm not going to say it out loud. And this is how they're handling it. Yeah. And R- Scott did the same thing today. He said, I'm a Northeast guy. I like to be more upfront about things, but this is their clubhouse. So I'm going to respect the sanctity of that. But if it was me, I'd be more open about what happened. I think to say at the least, there was definitely a shouting match that probably happened down yes. there. But. But I think, and, and like there was speculation of did McNeil get hit? There was before and after pictures of his eye before the game and then after the game. But then in the press conference, he looked completely fine. So clearly, I don't think he did get punched in the face or anything like that. But 
even watching him, because I was at the game, so I didn't see his face until after I came home, but watching him in between innings when they're cutting to him, McNeil legitimately looked like he was, like, hurt almost. Like, he, he seemed shaken up. He seemed lost. He seemed in no, a he daze. Did. And that's not something that Jeff McNeil is. He's always a very heads-up, very in-the-moment player, as we know with every at-bat. And I think both of them immediately after, you could it kind of was like you said before, back and forth. It was like they saw a ghost. Yeah. Like, everyone would look kind of drained. Like something had happened. My mom immediately was like, maybe someone's family member died. And if that is not the most like middle-aged That's... Italian woman response to some kind, of, <laughs> some kind of lunacy going on, like I don't know what is. But the funniest part is, as we now transition to what was happening on the field, is that whatever happened inside that tunnel seemed to zap both of those guys back into what we've expected them to be all season long. It was like that whatever happened was the wake-up call that both of them needed. Whatever, If anyone got hit, if anyone got yelled at, if anyone got you know pushed, it seemed like that's exactly what got them right back into what the players that we thought they would be were because that inning, McNeil and Lindor were also due up after they were in the yes. field, which is crazy, which is crazy. <laughs> Immediately due up. So McNeil came up, and he, of course, did the McNeil thing all year, which is hit into a hard out. I think he like lined into the pitcher or whatever. He hit a screamer like it hit the pitcher's thigh, yeah. and then he tore ass up the line and then he ran right into the tunnel as well after literally he was like a bat out of hell and he just pulled like a freaking right angle directly into the tunnel and he was probably in there like smashing his hand against the wall or something had to be doing something and then lindor steps up and oh francisco our boy he did it finally a huge finally did it huge moment for him came up one two count he'd been battling a little bit right handed up against caleb smith who like you said that night Pitched the night before and threw a couple pitches. Like, wasn't a great decision to throw him out there. Mm. Lindor takes him deep, hits his first home run at City Field, puts the Mets ahead in a game that they were really, I don't even know, they didn't really deserve to win it, but they also didn't play that badly. It was really just Peterson kind of screwed them a little bit at the beginning. And as much as he screwed them, like, now let's talk about Peterson a little bit. He was getting kind of squeezed, and there wasn't, I mean, he was not throwing strikes most of the time, but there were a couple calls at the beginning of the inning when he was facing whoever was hitting eighth that night. I think it might have been Rojas. The yeah, I bat before Gallon, I yeah. think it was Rojas. And whoever's thinking seventh, I can't remember at this given moment. But he was nibbling the corners, not doing it. The Diamondbacks didn't hit one ball hard that entire game. The Diamondbacks didn't have, have an extra base hit in this series until today. Yeah, the Stephen Vote double in game three. Yeah, which is incredible. But again, with Peterson, like this is what's going to happen with him. His stuff is not elite. His command is good, not great. You cannot walk Zach Gallon with two outs to look Also, like going back to his stuff, like if there was any indication of if you needed to know what kind of pitches he had, Zach Gallon fouled off like five pitches that at bat. Zach Gallon's not a hitter. That Zach Gallon happen. actually impressed me at the plate on Friday night. He battled every single at bat. He, he, he had a couple nice foul balls. He would hustle down the line. The guy's an athlete. He's a heck of a player. He is also a human rain delay. Oh my yeah, he is. God, does he throw so many pickoffs? You were well. You were at the game, so I don't know if you could see this from the coke corner, and you obviously weren't hearing to Gary Keith and Ron, but. Gallon, like many pitchers now, have cheat sheets in their pockets, like to show them probably matchups and like pitch statistics and like where hitters' hot and cold zones are. And he was looking at it every two or three pitches, like when he was yeah. getting to the fourth, fifth, and fifth inning. And Keith was like, "Boy, really keeps looking on that card. I don't know if there's any answers there." And it's like so funny because he really is good, but he, I love watching him as a pitcher from afar. But when I'm at a game and it's cold out and it's two hours and we're through four innings painful to watch especially when it was just like walks three two counts 10 pickoffs every inning like he's a good pitcher but he's he's so slow but back to David Peterson like you said he just didn't have it 
walking the pitcher. It was a walk fest for him. He was walking guys like left and right, hitting batters. He just didn't have it. And luckily, we got saved by our boy who we mentioned last episode, who was non-existent to start the year. Robert Gesellman came in and shut the door. The dude battled. He was freaking awesome. And I was I was firing off some tweets Friday night, both from my account, Jeter Had No Range, and the Messed Up account about how great Gazelman was. It was pretty funny at the end of the game. So one, of the list, one of the listeners got in my mentions. He was like, so many pitch uh, breakdowns this whole year. What about Gazelman? So, whoever you are, I have a pitch breakdown right now for you for Robert Gazelman. Not much to find, but one major adjustment that Gazelman has made this year is he's cut out his four-seam fastball in favor of a lot more change-ups and a couple of more sinkers. And generally, when you do something like that, it means you have quit on whiffs and strikeouts, and you are in the game for soft contact. Because the change-up along with the color that Gazelman doesn't throw, that those are the big pitches that you're using to limit exit velocity and like lower hitters' launch angles, as long as you can locate it, which he's been doing so far. And that has been Gazelman's calling card so far this year. He's in the 97th percentile of all hitters in baseball right now in opponent's hard hit rate at just 23.7%. Huh. That's an elite number. That's like... That's really good. That's like, well, name a really bad hitter. That'd be their hard hit, hard hit rate. Like, yeah, Ender Enciarte. Yeah, that's like probably Ender Enciarte. <laughs> like career hard hit level. That rat fuck. I hate that guy. Oh, my <laughs> God. All of college, I had basically a hole in my coffee table from that home run he robbed from Cespedes <sighs> in 2016, the last yeah. month of the season, with two outs in the ninth when he jumped over the center field wall. I literally, in the corner of my coffee table, had like an imprint like this big He's from my a- fist pounding it that one night and i was in college i wasn't gonna get a new coffee table that was my coffee table such a pest ender in crt big pest but back to gazelman for a second after our ndns and crt tangent which fuck, fuck, i can't believe maybe think about it. i can't believe you made it. that you you ruined my whole role for this. <laughs> <laughs> i hate that guy so much all the hitters in baseball thousands of hitters in the history of this game and you pick that motherfucker <laughs> but nevertheless gazelman like i said before he has just quit on whiffs and strikeouts he doesn't care about them at all anymore he had zero on friday in two and a third innings and just two whiffs on 21 swings <laughs> which are those are laughable numbers on the year he's only has a 10.6 percent k rate which is in the bottom three percent of the league so inverse to how good his whiffs are uh, to his hard hit rate this where, this where the strikeouts land and just 16.3 percent whiffs nothing but if you're doing this with the sinker and the changeup is working and those things are just bowling out of the bottom of the zone, no one can square them up. As long as your command stays on point, you don't leave any of the, either of those pitches up, this can work. Like, this is something that can work for Gazelman. This is probably a blueprint for Peterson when he eventually moves to the bullpen in a few months when we have a full fleet of starting pitchers. And I think this even more so ties into what you're going to talk about a little bit later in the episode with the, the changing balls, but clearly the balls are not flying out like they used to. Clearly you can pitch to contact a little bit more than you've been able to in the last few years. And a guy like Gesellman, who had been getting hurt by some hard hit balls and stuff, he makes this change to get less hard hits, especially with the softer ball. He's going to be getting better results, and we've been seeing that all year. He's looked really, really strong this far. Surprised the hell out of me because I thought for sure Gesellman was on his way out of this team. I thought he was a non-tender candidate in the offseason. I probably yeah. would have voted to do that if that was an option for me, if, if, if the front office asked for my input, which I'm still open to give. Yeah, listen, Steve Cohen, you listen to the Mets Up podcast? We're, we're ready for hire. I'll quit YouTube if you need me to run the front office. I got you, but I'm sure that's not coming. And then we also got to see Tommy Hunter make his uh, yeah. debut as a Met, right? That was his yeah. debut? Yeah, it was and his debut. I'm low-key falling in love with Tommy Hunter. The yeah, dude, dude is a character. I love him. I'd love to see how many times in Major League Baseball, maybe we can find this later and tweet it tomorrow, who pitched in relief and started the following day. Yeah, that's, probably not that, many. 
That's a, no, probably not since like 1888. He, uh, I, I sent you his press conference from after the game, which he started, which also hilarious that Tommy Hunter has a press com or a press meeting, whatever you want to call it, talking with the press. Um, but he, he's, He's got a little bit of a personality. He was funny. He's like, yeah, they asked me if I wanted to go out there. He's like, shit, I got a perfect game. You ain't taking me out. Like, no way. <laughs> so, you know what? He came in, he threw strikes, he attacked the hitters. That's all I can ask for from a reliever. Yeah, definitely. And another weird uh, caveat of Peterson getting pulled early and using Gazelma in long relief is the fact that Tomas Nito ended up double switching into the game for McCann because he had made the last out of the inning because McCann makes the last out of every single inning the Mets ever play this season, as we know. It's shocking, but he had a couple nice at-bats and a couple hits. Like, Tomas Nito needs more plate appearances. He does. He, he needos more at-bats, you know? He need he needos to see the, play, the ball more because I can't deal with James McCann anymore. <laughs> wow, wow. All right, thanks for listening, guys. It's the end of episode number 13. Um, yeah, McCann's struggling tough right now, man. Going tough. back, going back to last season when something seemed to click for Nito, his slash is two eighty six, three sixty two, five seventy one in almost fifty plate appearances. That's really, really good. Like right now, it feels like let's say there's seven games in a week, even though it never happens. But let's just pretend there's seven in a week. It feels like McCann plays six, Nito plays one. Yeah, we probably got to get closer to that four and three range right now. Definitely, and that was how McCann was in platoons his entire career, especially when he was playing his best baseball with the White Sox. He was never a hundred forty game a year guy. Not many catchers really are. Only JT Realmuto, and I guess Grandal. But Grandal has no hits. You want you know that Jacob Degrom has more hits than he has Monty Grandal this season. Whoa. That was as of like one thirty today. So maybe what, hap- what happened to Asmani Grandal? I don't know. He's still hitting the ball hard, but he's just not finding the holes. But whatever, we'll, we'll get to that. Though. We'll, we'll have a White Sox episode in a few months. Yeah, sure. But otherwise, Friday night, like the bullpen was good all together. Like Castro had a sick inning. Yep. The guys, the guy's been a lifesaver for us. The bullpen's been a lifesaver for this team, just in general. Yeah. It's been really, really good. And we'll talk about more guys as we get going. Move on to a little bit later in the game, we had a ninth inning scenario where Jeff McNeil, leadoff hit, Lindor comes up and bunts, and and apparently it might have been his decision. It might have not came from the bench. It might have been Lindor saying, I'm going to bunt, which, Francisco, buddy, I I want that to be wrong. I don't want to believe that you were thinking to bunt there, but... I put up the video on Twitter. I was I was distraught. If you talk yeah, you to right, right. <laughs> if you talk to like Ernie and the people and Scuffy who I was at the games with, I for an inning couldn't get over it. I could not get. I was it was the tenth inning. We got through, and I go, we fucking bunted. Are you kidding me? I was mad. there was little kids in front of me. I was saying the f word. I was I did not <laughs> give a sh- I didn't give a shit. I was stewing because of all the good stuff that happened, and then to have that, and I'm like, ah, oh, that was that was so lame. I hate it. <laughs> And the funniest thing was like, well, not this, not the funniest thing. First, a serious thing is that Rojas in the press conference after the game, the next day, actually, someone asked him about that. He said, he said, Lindor brought it up and he specifically said, swing the bat. Yeah. <laughs> and Lindor still bunted where it's like, why? And he had been bunting like this whole week here and there. We're just like, stop bunting. Please stop yeah, please bunting. Please stop bunting. But again, the irony is that when we came up in the 10th inning after Diaz kept the Diamondbacks off the board, I was sitting on my couch screaming, bunt, bunt, please bunt, someone bunt, my and, God. And go figure, we win on essentially a swinging bunt yeah. from Pat Mazzica, who, I mean, like, what a bizarre, bizarre game that Insane. we saw on Friday night. It's and a bizarre evening. The game just happened to be going on in the middle of it. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. But listen, 
This is a game that old Mets teams lose in the past, 1 million percent. That fight in the dugout would have brawled, and Jeff McNeil and Lindor both would have been out for the year. Somehow, if the Wilpons still on this team, that would have been the end of the season right there. Whatever it was, that would have been, you know, DEFCON 0. But DEFCON 5, whatever it's called, I don't even know what it's called. But The worst DEFCON that exists. Yeah. Regardless, the Mets scrapped it out. They got the win, and it got us in a good position for the rest of the series, which now leads us into Game 2. Before we go to Game 2, I have my bad Mets oh. takes of the week. Yeah, hit me, hit me. Frank Fleming, Frank the Tank, Barcel Frank, is so fucking annoying on Twitter. He's so damn negative about the Mets. If you follow him and just watch his tweets per which game. I, which I don't. because I hope. I, well, that's what I'm going to get to. How? I want you to guess right now how many followers Frank Fleming has on Twitter. <sighs> like how many I think he has or how many he should have? How many he has. Okay, I have like 35,000, and he works for Barstool, and he feels like he's known by everybody. I mean, he's got to be like 75K. 83,000 people that's follow Frank that's Fleming. That's too many. That's, that's way disgusting. Too many. If you were to just look at his tweets on a per game basis and not the Mets, you would think that we were 4 and 19 right now. Well, like, I've even seen some of them, and I'm like, I get it. Like, He's definitely putting on a little bit of a character, but also Frank Fleming like is miserable. I don't I think, know how much. I think <laughs> I think he is like kind of at his like base. I think that's kind of his like his brand is like he is just kind of miserable a little bit. Yeah. And he, I mean, that's how he got famous. He was the the Mets fan who lost his shit when the MTA and Jay Trans is incompetent. Yeah, incompetent. I mean, that video is classic. He gives you a good he gives you a good rant when things are bad. I would love to see what he has to say, but when things are good. I, I'm, honestly, I don't give a shit what he has to say ever. Frank no, Fleming's never, opinion on baseball never. is irrelevant to me, and it should be irrelevant to you. As character, funny, whatever. But as a Mets fan, it sucks to have to deal with this guy all the time because it's like, dude, enjoy it. We have good stuff going on. It's okay. I want to. I don't want to hug him, but I want to be like, Frank, it's okay, buddy. We're going to be good. He must smell awful. I, I can't imagine. I, I, I. It's probably this weird combination of like horseradish, hot dogs. Oh, God. <laughs> Social social distancing is a blessing in a disguise. <laughs> right, that's, that's enough Frank Fleming. I'm sorry I took us on this tangent. I just really want... He's just my bad take of the week because he hates Loop and Diaz, and they've both been freaking good. Diaz has uh, been so good. <laughs> so good. He's been a savior. We'll get to that later. But now on to game two. The Mets, second time in, in a week using an opener, and it worked again. <laughs> 2 and out. And guess what? They only lose... They used Lucchese, and they used him well. I Look know. It worked. It was smart. Like what, two, One or two times through, that's all he gets. Still, though... He's, like, hilariously... Mediocre. He, he had one whiff the entire time he was on the mound. Yeah. That's that's laugh-out-loud bad. He's just not good. Like it's He's just, just not good. Yeah. He can fake it for a few innings a week, and we have been faking it for a few innings a week. Fake, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Oh, God. And right now, the Mets are definitely doing that with Lucchese. Tommy Hunter started the game, looked good yep. again. Love yep. me some Tommy Hunter. We're getting into a weird scenario where Luco's going to come back at the end of the month. Who do we send down from the bullpen? Because everyone's performing well. Uh, we got some options here. I was shitting myself Saturday afternoon when they said that they sent down Yamamoto and Reed Foley to piggyback in Syracuse. And I was like, why are we doing that? <laughs> I was like, I would love for at least one of those guys to be available tonight here. Yeah. This seems like an oversight. I, I, you know what? Actually, I guess Lucchese gets sent down probably. Lucchese probably no, will get sent down for a little while. Go. He definitely has an option or two. And all these guys in the bullpen have options. You'll see Barnes get sent down even though he's been effective just because he has I don't think, options. I don't think he does. I think that's really? why he was available is because he doesn't have options. Uh, I think that's why the Mets had to give him the $500,000 contract is because he's a ma- he has to be a major league player. Otherwise, he's a free agent, basically. He would have to accept a minor league contract, which he's not going to do because 
the way he's been pitching, he deserves to be on a major league team again. He's been good, but we got to stick with game two because my number one takeaway from game two was how well this raccoon situation is helping Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil at the plate. He's made him, it turned everything around. Since the fracas in the, in the middle of the sixth inning or the seventh, whenever it was, on Friday night, those two combined are six for 19 with five RBIs and five runs scored. Hell yeah. What else do you need? Hell yeah. That's it. That's what we've been waiting for. Like, both of them have been struggling so badly, and it seems like, I mean, their numbers still don't show that they're playing better because they have had an entire month of playing bad baseball, but they're getting higher and higher as the games keep going now. This weekend was a great weekend for both of them. Started off rough, but it's ending great. Yeah, ending great. I think something that has happened with the two of them is that we know those guys are both good hitters. They have shown enough of track rather where you can guarantee that Jeff McNeil's a good hitter, Francisco Lindor is a good hitter. No one's arguing with you there. But they were just thinking a little too much. And we've seen this happen with McNeil in the past, where he'll get in these cold streaks, and he just like looks like he can't do anything. He's pissed off every time he makes out. He's swinging at the wrong pitches. He's cut, like he's lining out. He's smoking the ball and he's finding gloves. Like He just can't do it. And sometimes when you're a hitter, this comes from my very minimal actual playing baseball background, you just have to stop thinking. Yeah, no, you really do. You just have to go out there and play sometimes. And it, it seemed like almost, it seemed like the fight, or whatever happened, the brouhaha, had almost masked them from thinking about the game and they just had to go out there and play because they were thinking about what just happened. And it mm-hmm. almost made them put like a block in their head of like, okay, what am I supposed to be doing? My mechanics, all this. Like they just went out there and played because they were on whatever just happened in the dugout. And since then, they've really just stepped it up and we're finally getting a glimpse at what this team could be when things are starting to click on the offensive side. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think something similar happened to Confort, though, at the beginning of the year when he was a little tight and he was thinking too much, and he has stopped thinking. You just, and I think Pete is a good example of this, too. When Pete gets a little frazzled, he thinks too much, and he's swinging, and he's getting mad, whatever. He snapped the bat on Friday night. Made it look like a tooth, made it look like a toothpick. My mom, my mom, second plug, Mother's Day episode, she was like, oh my god. (laughs) She was like, I didn't know you could do that. Shout out (laughs) to the moms. Yeah, big shout out to everyone's mom out there. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about that was really caught my eye during Saturday's game was Michael Conforto's monstrous fly ball in the seventh inning. I think there was a man or two on. It was a shot to break the game open and avoid the palpitations that Yuri's Familia was about to give us because I knew preemptively that we were going to have heart attacks in that inning with Familia. You have that feeling. That ball that Conforto put to the wall was hit at 104.4 mile an hour exit velocity with a 30 degree launch angle. It traveled 408 feet for an out. That's messed up. I could I literally couldn't believe it when I saw the tweet after that that like had all of those like little qualifications in it like the little statistics tweet I was like I can't believe this. So I did some digging on baseball savant in the search function and I checked out every single ball that's been put in play this year between a 30 and 31 degree launch angle and 104 and 105 exit velocity. There were 22 of those balls this season and only two of them were not home runs. Wait, th- that was for this season. Yes, that was only for this season. I thought you were going to tell me for last season and stuff. Well, now I am going to go into, I was like, this is shocking. Like, maybe it's just an anomaly. 22 bad balls is no sample size. So then I made my search, including 2019 and 2020. So just 2019 and 2020, 2021's numbers are out because the ball is different. The ball's not traveling as well this year. It's coming off the bat harder, but there's more drag, so it's not going as far. MLB fucked us again. Because these assholes just like manipulating the product that we all love so much. We can't yes. get over it. Like, I don't, I don't fucking understand this shit. But there were 105 like events of a batted ball between a 30 and 31 degree launch angle and 104 and 105 exit velocity. 
over 2019 and 2020. And even those two seasons had vastly different baseballs from each other, yeah. let alone this year. Out of those 105 events, only three balls were caught. That's shocking. That's three shocking. Ball, three balls were caught, and there were 96 home runs. Yeah. Four doubles and two triples. One of the triples was by Mike Moustakis, which is ridiculous. And of those three outs, another one was at City fucking Field. Dude, what is up with City Field? It's ball just doesn't like to travel when the Mets hit it. That's for sure. Literally, it was like it was a Nimmo fly ball off the Braves last September. That random gem that Kyle Wright threw for no good fucking reason. It's your boy Kyle Wright. That's my boy. He's not, he he is he is slowly becoming not my boy. The longer the Braves don't use him, but yeah. I, I still think this. I I still have the faith. I'm not losing the faith. If I didn't lose this faith on Joe Musgrove over the last five years, I'm not losing it on Kyle Wright. But yeah, the balls the balls are man. They're they're different. I don't know. I, why would you put? I don't know. I have so many. I have so many complaints about what they do. They're like, hey, like the problem is MLB is also going to use like the the great numbers that we've had and like rise in popularity in the game this season. And be like, it's because we changed the balls. And it's like, no, that's not it. That's going to be a product of everything that happened the last few years in the young stars. But they're going to be like, the balls less home runs is good. Like, but the, the funny thing about the ball is that, like I said before, and data is beginning to show us that the ball is lighter and the ball has more drag. So the ball being lighter means that pitchers are throwing harder, which is true. Yeah. There are more pitches over 100 miles an hour this year in a rate than ever before. And exit velocities are higher, which is also true. Exit velocities across baseball are up like a, a mile an hour or two. The funny thing about the drag is that the, usually to increase drag, you raise the seams. Yeah. So the, there's more ball cutting through the air. It makes it go less far. With risen seams, the ball is going to break more when the pitchers throw it. Yeah. And we're seeing again this year that breaking balls are unhittable. Like there's more horizontal vertical break. We've seen five no-hitters. I'm counting Madison Bumgarner as one as well. 100% count that. Wade Miley threw yeah. a no-hitter. I know it's against the weak Indians who are basically a – Poor excuse for a baseball team, offensively. I don't want to live in a world where Wade Miley throws a no-hitter. It shouldn't happen. I knew something was different about that no-hitter because my entire life, as a huge baseball fan who watches baseball religiously for five months a year, every single year without fail, whenever there's no-hitter, you stop what you're doing, you watch the end of the no-hitter. Yes. I said, fuck it. I'm not even watching it. I don't even care. I don't want to see it. I couldn't give two shits about Wade Miley's no-hitter. Great for him. Happy no, love. Him. hey, Wade Miley... Hell yeah. Guy's a grinder. He's been in the league for a while. He had that cool Hulk tattoo that his son gave him. Yeah, Which sick. that was cool. And he was crying after no-hitter because a guy like Wade Miley, who's not really that good, and who has he's not often very respected, and he's been on a lot of teams. This is That's his, awesome. This is his moment. This, I mean, yeah. it technically puts him in the Hall of Fame. So, <laughs> yeah, everyone who throws a no-hitter gets a ball in the Hall of Fame. So, technically, Wade Miley, like, his kids will be able to show their kids and be like, that's my dad. Like, that's cool. That's sick. Here's a funny question. Over, under... Ten more no-hitters this season. Ten more. We have five in a month, and we I have thought, four more months. I think as it gets hotter, it's going to be a lot harder, and we're still, we've had like a very cold spring thus far. All right, fine. Eight and a half, then. Eight and a half. Oh, I still think I'm going to go under. I think the magic number for no-hitters on the year is ten, and I think that we're going to sit around ten. So you think we're going to sit around ten because of a round number, and you like round numbers? Of course, yeah. Round numbers make me comfortable. What am I going to say? Eleven? Ugh. Two ones, get that out of here. Disgusting number. Wow. So again, no transition, but just to get back at the game two from our weird no hither tangent. Yuri Familia is an expert at making my heart stop. But that's also my boy. He has been so good though. There was some shoddy defense that inning, I get that, but 
And he's breaking bats. He's getting these little nubbers that he... I I was thinking about this like today a little bit because we were talking about Familia coming in maybe for game three and you're like, no shot, 40 pitches. And I was like... The thing with Familia is he's almost like anti-shift in a way because he just gets such shitty contact that they're just going to find spots. But also that's so wrong because you always play the shift. It's an advantage, 1,000%. But like the 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 dumb baseball brain in me of like, well, maybe, you know. like You never know. I'll you never that. know. For those two times that there's bloops, yeah. we get rid of all those hard ground balls that are caught, you know. <laughs> the, one, the one thing that was cool I saw Familia do that I haven't seen him do much in like the 25 years he's been on the Mets is he was incorporating a high four-seamer into his repertoire, which the guy is allergic to four-seam fastballs. He is addicted to the sinker. But sinker is threw- nasty. The sinker is nasty. The sinker was sinking last night. Sinking. But he threw one o two the Rojas when he was in a tough spot. That he laid off, but like he like gave one of like the, yeah. like he was about to swing at it, and he gave him a look like that was a good pitch, and then he K'd as Drupal on one that was in the zone, and he pumped at ninety six, and I was like, if you can have that in your bag as Yeri's Familia, that can change everything because the hitters have to just be aware of that, even if he's only throwing three or four every time he's out there, just the fact that that's a possibility, you have to change your approach against him. Definitely, definitely, because now you're not looking for balls that are going to drop in the zone. That ball's staying flat. It's a completely mm-hmm. different pitch. So, Definitely. Familia, it's never going to be easy with him. But no, never. it also hasn't been a problem this year. And it's not like it should be. It's not like you're saying, like, oh, he got lucky. If anything, he's got unlucky. Oh, unluck- no, he's been, if, he's been dealing. Yeah, if anything, he's been getting unlucky to get in these situations. And he's still getting out of them, which I love to see. I, th- I You know, I've, I've always been a big Jerry's Familia guy. I've, I, I loved him. I really had no issues with the way that he pitched. I know he gives people heart attacks, but I always thought that. We couldn't do 2015 without him. He was a super underrated player on that team. And I'm glad to see him pitching well again. And then just that's kind of like the theme of game two. The bullpen kept going. Loop. Kind of good. Loop. I was trying to get at the game on Friday night when he came out of the game with loop. No one was doing it. We got it. We everyone's gotta start doing loop. They were they were doing they were doing loop there it is on Saturday. Did you hear that? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, it was hilarious. Like it was very faint. But Gary was like I think they're saying loop there it is. I'm cool with loop there it is if we're not going to do loop, you know. I like loop, but loop is fun. I'm a sucker for the low arm slot. That's cool. Like, that's something that there not many pitchers in baseball do anymore. So when you have a guy that does it, hitters are just not used to hitting against it. It's it's a different experience, and that's fun. As you've said in the past, if the Rays like them, we like them. Yeah, anything anything that the Rays do, I am happy to copy them. I don't care. It doesn't even matter. that That was a classic... Let me see your homework. Okay, now it's mine. Like, yeah. I'm just gonna <laughs> write down the same it. thing. Thank you, thank you for doing this work for me. Yes. And then the other, my other, the other guy, our messed up man of the month, Trevor freaking May. He came in as the backup closer and freaking gassed the Diamondbacks. He threw ten fastballs in that ninth inning out of thirteen pitches, just fucking dousing them with heat. He's looked re- he's looked really good, and so good. He's just he's pumping strikes, pounding, attacking hitters, doing all the stuff that we saw in Minnesota. Except now it just seems like he's even better. Yes. Well, he's got his boy Jeremy Hefner back. And he did cite why he came to the Mets. A big reason, Jeremy Hefner. Give that guy the MVP award if the Mets do things this year, please. Yeah, I saw someone point out on Twitter yesterday, I even forgot that Jeremy Accardo was on the Mets staff. So I have to give him some credit, too. Yes. Assistant he's, he's, he's like the or he's the assistant because I think he was like the quality guy before, right? Did they I make him the, assistant I thought now? the quality guy was Brian Schneider, the old catcher. He is now, I think. Okay. I think Accardo might have been that, and I think I think it, it's a promotion to be assistant pitching coach, I would say, over the quality con- control guy. Because that was also like Rojas' old job, I think, too. Yeah. But 
Yeah, he, uh, Carlo is the assistant pitching coach. I, cool. I think both those jobs are pretty decent jobs. Rojas got hired to the, to be the manager from that job. It's true. Yeah. So that I way, think then, it's like a way to get a guy in the dugout that you respect their opinion of, and you want to just be able to pick their brain a little bit. You know, that I love that role because across baseball, that is the guy who's the intermediary between the nerds and the jocks. Yes, he takes information that the analytics staff and the Mets research and any team's research and development. Um, department will give them and he can disseminate it to the team in a way that makes sense for everybody that's a yes. very important job in modern baseball and anyone who has that you know you're a good communicator you have good relationships with all kinds of people and you're very thorough in your explanations and people trust you which is why it's you always keep an eye out for those guys for possible managers because we've been seeing it more and more i think even mark kotze last year who i think was with one i don't know if he was with the giants or the a's he was a guy who was getting uh manager rumors as well quality control coach like you said baldelli was the same with the twins yep so guys to keep an eye out for game two though great game another good win mets are up two nothing won the series game three jacob de on the mound and you're going we're about to get a sweep let's do Mm -hmm. it and the mets did sweep now was it because jacob de a little bit definitely a little bit definitely a little bit helped a lot but we also saw jacob de leave the game early which is terrifying very scary it was nice just to see the team gut one out because it was all hands on deck today, and we didn't. There was a couple innings at the end there. I did not feel like we had it, or just everything was about to collapse in on us. But it worked out. But just to jump back to the beginning of the game for a second, I listened to the beginning of this game on the radio. You know, some Mother's Day festivities, and there was a lot of hard contact in the first couple innings off of Degrom. And we think everything the guy does is like so spectacular. He's like your your child who's like, oh, thank you so much for this picture. Wow, you cook such a great meal. Like he could do no wrong. Yeah. So Howie and Wayne were like, wow, Degrom is just he he can really do everything. He's pitching to contact specifically yeah, today, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just to save the bullpen. You love a guy like that. Doc Gooden used to do things like that his great season 1985 and i was thinking like ah shit he's just he's just giving up some hard hits right now he just didn't look comfortable ever on the mound and gary and keith even talked about in the first he like made a couple pitches and you could see you know how he does like that thing every once in a while where he like kind of messing around with his lat he was doing it again a lot this game and then in the fifth inning where he struggled a lot in the fifth he walked three batters which we haven't seen since the last time he got pulled from a game early which was in philadelphia where he started the first inning through 45 pitches walked three guys shockingly because he's jacob Degrom, still didn't give up a run which is nuts in that philadelphia Mm -hmm. game but he exited after the first same thing kind of happened today except it was in the fifth he came back out for his warm-up pitches in the sixth brian chicklo whatever his name is said no we're not doing this you're coming out and they they pulled him and they said it was precautionary but also apparently after the game it might not really be like as relaxed as we thought it was i i think there's no way it's relaxed i would be shocked if we don't catch a dl stint from Degrom. at least like 10 i I don't want to see it but if that's what it's going to take for him to be healthy that's what we need yeah, I just think he probably just needs to give that lat a break. It's clearly been bothering him now for consecutive starts over the course of two weeks. Like, his mechanics were off. It's causing issues. What, what do you got? Gary and Keith mentioned something, and I don't know if you heard this, but apparently in DeGrom's last Zoom conference, when he got scratched from the start, he said that every single night, or the next day when he wakes up after he starts, the lat always is killing him. He goes, yeah. without a doubt, it's always bothering me. He goes, but the thing that's different about this one is that it lingered past one day. Yeah. He goes, normally it's just the day when I wake up and then I'm fine for the rest of the day. He's like, but this one continued throughout the day and then until the next morning, I think. And he goes, and that's why we decided to scratch me because like it just doesn't stay like that. So cause for concern for sure. Yeah, definitely. And during that um, during that like monologue that they were talking about there, I don't remember, I think it might have been Ron, because he talked about 
the fact that starting pitching, just the essence of being a starting pitcher, you beat the shit out of yourself for one day. You spend three days just recovering, and then you have to do it again. Like, where you go? So that entire process is, like, up and down, physically up and down. So it's hard to know what is normal soreness and what is cause for concern. And clearly, once it actually affects your performance like it has for DeGrom these last two times out, is becoming cause for concern. And you know what's crazy is that even at his absolute, like, I don't want to say absolute weakest, but even at, like, when he's not at his best, he's still limited the Diamondbacks when he was off to one run. Yeah, four, four, four perfect innings. Unbelievable. He's so, he's so, when he doesn't even have it, he still has it. And that's just the story of Jacob deGrom, I think, as a Met. He's so good even when he's not. Yeah, exactly. And even when he, his mechanics were off, he wasn't able to locate anything. He still has not thrown a curveball. Which I don't think he's going to all year. Yeah, it seems like that pitch is, <laughs> pitch is gone. But he, I just, I want him to take a week or two, honestly. Figure it out. No rush here. We... I wish that Carlos Carrasco's timeline initially was correct because this would have been perfect to just swap those two guys out right now. It's not going to happen. So we're going to have to really figure it out for a couple of weeks, it seems like. Yeah. Might get a little hairy. We got a couple off days this week, thank God. But I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's definitely something to monitor. And Castro came in for him. Yeah, he did immediately. Looked. I mean, he got it done. Yeah, he did get it done. It's hard. To be the guy who comes in for an injury because you're not you're like you're cold you're actually yes. absolutely cold and even though you get unlimited pitches uh, you can tell from experience nobody actually does truly take the right amount of time to warm up when they come in for an injury they'll throw their you know 15 pitches or whatever but like a lot of these guys sometimes could take 20 a few more pitches than that and they just won't do that on the mound yeah because based on human psychology like you're on the mound already and you can feel like the fit you're like in front of the fans everyone's restless like the batter's right there like everyone's waiting for you that's just simply an awkward situation like from a psychological standpoint you're not unless you're like one of like a special kind of person you're not going to do that until you're completely ready it's just not going to happen and it didn't look like he was he walked the tightrope for the second consecutive outing rounded out it was like it was like kind of like when he was like a plane and he like was flying and then he like was starting to go down a little bit and he just like whoop pulled it back yeah, up yeah, yeah. Right, we're good he figured it out he figured it out barnes came in did a good job in the seventh didn't do so in the eighth no he's not two winning guy i mean you wanted him for two though i not that i wanted him for two but i thought he was the best option that was possible in that because i didn't i'd rather him for two than ds for two that's fair because i don't well. even know how Ah, yeah, I don't even know saying that out loud does it, but he yeah. looked so clean. He looked so good in that inning. I've liked him so much that like I was like, but I text you like Barnes again. Yes, I know he he has looked really good. I think there was like a tweet about like all the relievers ERAs over like the last seven days. Barnes has like I think either a zero or like a one one or something like that, which is or it's probably one one now because he did give up the run, a uh, home run to Asdrubal, which thank goodness his home run came in a time that didn't matter because you knew again just like Paul DeYoung was a lock last week, mm-hmm. Asdrubal was a lock to hit a home run yep. against the Mets. Hundred percent was, and he had some at bats in bigger situations. So I was happy this was the one he chose. Yeah, got a solo shot. Diaz came in for Barnes, cleaned it up, lights out again, and even we almost we almost got. A little taste of the old Mets there because the pop-up with two outs in the ninth inning. Uh-huh. VR called it insanely yep. early. By the way, yes. a lot of people giving McCann crap. That's not McCann's ball. That is no. a significantly harder play for the catcher to make than it is for the third baseman. And VR called it. So that's mm-hmm. his baseball. And McCann's not supposed to say, you, you, like, you know, he's got to be quiet there. That's not his baseball. So don't give McCann crap for that. It was all on VR. Ended up not mattering. But the thing that I love the most about that error was, I don't know if you saw when Diaz got the ball back. We've seen Diaz, he's, he can get a little, you can kind of read his body language a little bit yeah. there. His body language was fantastic. He gave a, he gave a shrug, you know, whatever, like, I'm going to get this next guy out, so it doesn't matter. 
The confidence is there with Edwin. The trumpets, World Baseball Classic Edwin, you know it's coming. He's back, and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. He's so good now. He is so good. You got to give him a lot, a lot, a lot of credit. We basically, in a three-game series, that we swept got six innings from our starting pitching. Yeah. That's shocking because we didn't use a starter for one game. Peterson barely got one inning. He got into the second and did nothing there. And then DeGrom had to leave after five today. So there was a lot asked of this bullpen over these last couple of days, even going back to the doubleheader that we played right before the Friday game in St. Louis. All five of these games, the Mets have won, currently on a five-game winning streak, if the listeners at home didn't know. I love that the Mets are on a five-game winning streak. That's sick. That's sick. sick. We freaking battled. Diaz today threw his hardest pitch since 2017, that ninth inning. Wow. Yeah, 101.6 miles an hour. That's fast. Fast. That's fast. That's serious. That's Jose Alvarado fast, but he actually knows where it's going, so it's better. The Mets' uh, gutsy win, gutsy series, because they, they, they are playing better baseball now, which is nice. They're starting to hit a little bit more. They're starting to just do the little things that maybe we're struggling. We still haven't seen that offensive explosion just yet. We haven't seen the whole team really hit in a game yet this year, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy to say. But everyone's, we're starting to see guys pick each other up, and that's huge. Lindor picked up the team on Friday night. Saturday, we got picked up by the bullpen. The bullpen just picked us up. Even Gesellman picked up on Friday night. Today, Miguel Castro, Barnes, Diaz. We got a big hit from Conforto that scored a run. Dom Smith got an RBI single later Dom in the Smith game. Dom Smith did have a big hit. Guys are picking each other up, and those are the things that are going to help make this team become a playoff contender, become a team that's going to be tough for teams to play, is when everyone is doing the little things. And right now, the Mets, that's what they did this series. They did all the things that they needed to, all the little things. Quick word about the Orioles series? Yeah, let's let's talk about the Orioles series real quick, because it's it's a quick series in of itself, two games, which is nice, because I... I mean, I'd love to play the Orioles for more, but also the Orioles have been a little bit of a pain in our side the last few times that we faced yeah, them. Yeah, always. And like, actually. we're actually playing them playing good baseball now. Normally, we run to the Orioles at our absolute worst, and we lose to them. So I'm feeling good about this series. We got Didn't means. they sweep us in 2019? Yeah. 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 That was a, uh, uh-huh. and that was a really bad Orioles team. They yeah, had was. nothing going on that team. That was but, when they got the first pick and drafted Rushman. Yeah, they were so bad. But we got Means versus Stroman, which is going to be fun because Means coming off his no-hitter. That's going to be his first start since then. And I know you're a huge John Means guy. I think he's I think he's a fine pitcher. I'm not going to... The Orioles announcers, they deserve to be happy. I threw the no-hitter. But I don't know who it was. After he threw it, he goes... And that's, you know, you start putting respect on John Means' name as one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. Go, well... There's about 30 guys I would choose over him, so let's not get crazy. I think that's a fair range, though, for John Means. For John Means, that's exceptional, being an arguably top 30 pitcher in baseball. Yes, yes, yes. But, you know, the whole, like, put him in the conversation is one of the best in the game. Like, well, I mean, yeah, sure, then then, uh, Tomas Nito is one of the best catchers in baseball because he's top 30, you know. Well, okay, now hold on. Every team has five starting pitchers. Every team has one starting pitcher. (laughs) Get out of here. But regardless, he pitched really well. He's a good pitcher. It's not going to be an easy game. It's going to be cool to watch Means and Stroman face off because those two are a little bit similar in the fact that they're more technicians. Yeah. Like, you're not going to see a pitch in that game over 95 miles an hour. You're going to see a ton of change-ups, mm-hmm. a ton of change-ups, a ton of sinkers, which, sure, maybe a couple sliders mixed in. If Stroman's listening again, Marcus Stroman, I know you're listening. Th- work on that. Get that slider in there. I love that stuff. Drop us a follow. Yeah, drop us a follow. Yeah, maybe retweet us. That'd be nice. But I love you, Stro. It's going to be a fun game to watch. It's going to be good pitching that game. But the real draw of this series is going to be Wednesday afternoon at City Field. The Dark Knight rises again. I hope he rises and falls so quickly. 
I hope that the dark. I hope we're talking about the Dark Knight Fallen on Wednesday. Yes, everyone probably wants like happy for Matt Harvey. Good, do whatever you want in Baltimore. But now that you're playing against the Mets, I hope we put up 25 fucking runs and you don't get out of the first inning with an out. I want to see this guy shit the bed so badly. The worst that could happen besides the Mets losing is him come out and pitch really well because all we're gonna see from Mets fans on Twitter is going to be, "Oh, Harvey's looking good. Maybe we bring him back at the trade deadline. Maybe this is a guy that we Degrom's." hurt maybe we get Harvey shut up don't say that shit he is not a good pitcher anymore he is not the same guy he physically is not the same pitcher he can't no. continue to have the success that he's had this year he can be a fine pitcher he can be a four five ERA guy sure but I want to see the Mets just fucking destroy him I don't hate Harvey but I hate no. the idea I hate the idea of all the ruckus that's going to happen if he does have a good start. And, oh, man, it's it's a game that I might have to go to because I don't want to look at Twitter on Wednesday. I have no interest <laughs> in seeing the dumb fucking tweets from everybody about, ooh, he threw 194. Maybe if we put him in the pen, he'll hit 98. No, that's not how that works. I'm not excited to see Harvey again just because of the social media, like, man, like just the craziness that's going to ensue. I think it's hysterical that Taiwan Walker is going to pitch on another day game. Day man. Oh. he's the day man and he hopefully man. he continues to be a bulldog on the mound for us which he's done all year yeah and the guy loves the sun he just loves the sun he's out he there he's tan he's gonna hang out during the daytime it'll be nice but noon start so everyone out there remember noon start on wednesday Ooh, noon start oh i'm I'm, go- I'm going to that game you gonna be in you gonna be in town yeah maybe i might come let's go let's go to game wednesday maybe all right but uh players to watch from the orioles not many but I know you got one you want to talk about. Yeah, I got a fun player to watch. Again, the Orioles don't have a lot of pitching to boast. We're, if we see Cesar Valdez this series, it means something went horribly wrong because he's the Orioles' closer. <laughs> and he is infuriating to face because he is just the king of changeups. He yeah. just will float changeups in there every single pitch, and it's annoying as crap. But my Oriole to watch this series is going to be Cedric Mullins, who was a pretty decent prospect. I think he was like a borderline top 100 guy the last few years. He fell out after a bad stint in the majors. But during the offseason, he gave up switch hitting. And it's been a godsend. Literally, he is near the top of Major League Baseball right now in batting average and hits. He just he just hits lefty, and he he's actually hitting well, which is. I also think it. I also think in previous years he's killed the Mets, if I remember that correctly. So that's a bad combination of him being better and also being a Met killer now. I can see that for sure, but he's a guy to watch. He'll probably get a couple of like really annoying base hits, but I think I think we're ready for a seven game win streak for the Mets. There's a very good chance that the Mets do come out with a seven game win streak. Win streak. They should come out with a seven game win streak. They are better than the Orioles. This team is improved in Baltimore, but they're still not a good team. They're still the worst team in that AL East. Still one of the worst teams in baseball. Brandon Hyde's a good manager. I actually think he's going to be able to get them to where they need to be in the future if they keep him around for that long. I agree. But they're just not there right now. And mm-hmm. as long as Adley Rushman doesn't get called up in the next few days, I'm feeling pretty good about this series. So Mets should be getting on a seven-game win streak for sure. Absolutely. And then, I mean, do, do we want to do a minor league roundup? We're, we're doing pretty good on time here, I feel like. I'd love to talk about the kids. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, real quick, let's talk about the youngins. Because the youngins, minor league baseball started up again. The youngins are looking good. Youngins are looking really, really, really good. Especially the Mets' like core group of top prospects between Francisco Alvarez, Ronnie Mauricio, Brett Beatty, and Pete Crow Armstrong. Two of those guys are in St. Lucie, and two of them are in Cyclones, right? Or is it yeah, Brooklyn. one? Yeah. Uh, I think Where's Alvarez? Al- Alvarez is in... St. Lucie. Yeah, so Alvarez and PCA are in St. Lucie. Mauricio and Beatty are the two and three hitters, the three and four hitters in Brooklyn. Combined, 
This is going into play on Sunday. I just the only player I don't know who what they did on Sunday was Alvarez because Brooklyn's rained out. But those guys combined over the first couple days of the minor league season were 27 for 62 with 11 doubles, three home runs, 17 RBIs, 20 walks, and 16 strikeouts. And I think the last two things are the big things to really take note of because, of course, like two games you can find a good stretch of any players if you combine them together. But the walks and the strikeouts are huge because that's what you're looking for right now. You see young players with that kind of plate discipline. And they're striking out, but that's also spread across four guys. The plate discipline, more walks and strikeouts for guys who are, what, all under the age of 22, 21? If you think between Alvarez, Mauricio, and Crow Armstrong, they're all under 20. Yeah, I think, well... Mauricio is 20, I think. Yeah, PCA is 18, right? Uh, Alvarez is 18 or 19. Mauricio is, I think, just 20. And Beatty is 21? He's weird because he was a prep Mauricio turned 20 a month ago, April April 4th. So he's a youngin still. But they're... uh, it's also f- crazy to see power like that from guys so young. Usually the power is one of the last thing that comes. I guess the only three homers between all of them, but Alvarez put some crazy home runs on tape at the alternate site. I love Mauricio, Alvarez. as we said, he's like our Brandon Marshall. The guy's a behemoth now. Yeah. Baby's a grown man. He was like a 23-year-old in high school, whatever. And P- P- PCA's been great, too. I love PCA. Yeah, he's going to be uh, he's the Brandon Nimmo archetype in the minors a little bit there with yeah, better, like better gloves. Six inches shorter than. <laughs> yeah, but he's better. No, he's not six inches shorter. PC is a big kid. I thought he was a small guy. No, he's big. That could change my entire perspective on I'm him. I'm pretty sure he's like second. six two. Uh, six, six flat, which is fine. That's fine. Yeah. But he's a better fielder anyway. He's a legitimate center fielder. He had two outfield assists today alone. I love to hear it. Yeah. Love to hear it. So, yeah, the young guns are looking real exciting. We got some bad news from the minor leagues, Matt Allen, Tommy John yeah. surgery. But, hey, listen, uh-huh. there's a time to get it. Get it when you're young. And yeah. for a guy who throws that hard, you knew it was going to come at some point probably. Absolutely. The only thing that's disappointing with him is now we don't probably see a full minor league season from him until about 2023, yeah, which stinks. Which is, that sounds like it's really far away. And that also guarantees he basically will not be in the majors until he himself is like 24 or 25 years old. Yeah. Which also stinks because he was a guy who looked like might have been on the fast track, but that's all right. Another minor leaguer who I like, Thomas Zapuki, pitched on Friday night after some kind of weird things that was happening in pregame. He was scratched, and then he ended up pitching again five innings out of relief. He looked very good. He's over at Syracuse, so I think there's a good chance we see him sooner rather than later. Yep. If this ends up being a lengthy absence for DeGrom, which we're really praying, hoping it's not, once Yamamoto proves he's just fine and not actually good, <laughs> we, we're going to see Yamamoto next week. I'm just mentally preparing myself for it. I'm trying yes. to be positive. But I think we see Thomas Zabuki in the major leagues at some point, not before July, if I'm calling my shot here. Yeah, no, I, Mets, the minor leagues for the Mets aren't particularly exciting from afar. But the more you dive into the guys that they have there, there are some players to keep an eye out for. And we'll definitely keep an eye out on all these guys and give you all the updates that we get because... This is the future of the Mets. We're Mets Up Podcast. We're talking about Mets, not just now, but for the future. And there's a lot of a lot of really exciting young players there. I think that you got any more prospect stuff? We're, we're good now. No, that's all I got. Those are my guys. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. That's where we're going to wrap up episode number 13 of the Mets Up Podcast. You guys know where to follow us. Twitter and Instagram, Mets Up. Watch us on YouTube. Search Mets Up Podcast there. Follow me and James on Twitter. Jeter had no range. Giraffe neck Mark. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Like, and you know, I haven't asked for this. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, oh, please. please. yeah. Drop some ratings on there. Follow the podcast. Subscribe to it, whatever it is. Drop a comment. Give a review. We really do appreciate it. It does help with the growth of the uh, podcast. If you guys write any funny reviews, we will bring it up on the show. Only yes. if they're funny. Funny? They have to be good ones, too. You better not give us a shitty, bad review and make, make it funny. 
if you guys want to roast us and it's like honestly very funny, I, I, I'll take to that. But just also make sure you click five stars when you drop. Yeah, as long as you as five well. stars, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, five stars again. Yeah. You can and say anything you want. I might, truly don't care. Might get a little shout out there. So episode number 13, a lot of good stuff, a lot of positive stuff. This is honestly probably going to come in as one of our longest episodes as well. But you can tell them we're happy. We'll talk about the Mets for an hour. No problem. That Lots flew by. And uh, I mean, there also might have been a fight on, on the team. So that, that took up a good yeah. chunk of the time too. Can I blow your mind for a second? Yeah. Chili Davis got fired this week. That feels like a month ago. This has been the longest season ever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. But that's going to be it, guys. Thank you so much for listening and watching episode number 13 of the Mess Up Podcast. We'll see you Thursday, I guess, for after the Orioles. Wednesday. Wednesday. Yes. Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. Well, we'll okay. talk Wednesday. You'll see us Thursday. Yeah. Thanks, so. for, thanks for listening. Bye.